alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, and today our topic is this year's winner of the Unbreak Your Health Award for Best Alternative Health Book at Reader Views. Midlife Crash Course, The Journey from Crisis to Full Creative Power, was written by Gail Feldman, Ph.D., A clinical psychologist for over 30 years, she writes about a series of life-changing episodes, including the end of 35 years of marriage and a skiing accident that are both deeply personal and universally relatable. Let me start right off by asking you the question of why the title of Midlife Crash Course? (laughs) Well, you know, I started off with many more mundane titles like Finding Our Way and Midlife Transformation and all of that. And then I realized I was writing about so many crashes, literally, you know, emotional crashes, physical crashes. Uh, You mentioned that I was divorced after 35 years. That led to a very deep depression. And then uh, I'm a a skiing maniac because I had two daughters who were ski racers. And and, uh, I was crashed into on the ski slope, and that led to broken bones and a head injury. And then I was crashed into by a woman who ran a red light in her car. So the mundane titles just had to go by the wayside, and I realized I was writing about a crash course. Your book isn't about an academic or philosophical view of a midlife crisis, is it? No, not not at all. I do always uh, get across, though, that the new midlife, as uh, it's referred to, uh, is 30 years now. It's our 40s, 50s, and 60s. You know, in our parents' generation, midlife was considered 10 years in your 50s. And also there were jokes about men having a midlife crisis, you know, and uh, buying a sports car and dating young women. But the fact is that midlife now, during we're living so much longer that many of us are not only facing personal challenges, but we're caring for different generations, our parents, our children, our grandchildren, and, and so on. So I look at it as though the orientation to life is over, and now we are in boot camp. It's like the real learning is on. And learning in midlife, I believe, has to do with facing the challenges, handling the challenges, and learning wisdom. Your book is for and about women, isn't it? It tends to be because, well, it tends to be women, as you know, who show up in therapy and workshops and so on in a much greater uh, numbers than men. One of the really important statistics is that, you know, the rate of depression in this country is 10 times higher than just two generations ago, 10 times higher. And we know that women in every age group suffer depression Uh, at least twice the the rate as men. So depression is a big problem for Americans. There's another amazing statistic uh, to me. So listen to this one. Women perform 66% of the world's work, and they produce 50% of the world's food, but they earn 10% of the income and own 1% of the property. So I read that and I thought, well, that's one reason why we're twice as depressed as men and three times more anxious. Absolutely. (laughs) So women tend to suffer a bit more than men. uh, And we know that there are biological reasons for that, too. So it's not not that we have to, um, you know, get all upset with men. The fact is that 
women have a, a reaction to stress that has them focus more and be more in the present with it. It has to do with women under stress secreting the hormone oxytocin, which we call the tend and befriend hormone. So it's, it's, it's wonderful that we're geared up to do that, but it can call for a lot more um, internal stress. Whereas men, because of their testosterone, tend to move away from stress, move on, withdraw, not talk about it. You know, we women just get together and, uh, and, and cry and talk about life. Tell us a little bit about what you call your three D's, denial, disbelief, and disassociation. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I talk a lot about grief in this book because, uh, not a lot, it's just a factor in, uh, in creating resilience. That Good grievers, you know, are, are, are tend to be good livers. So um, the first stage in, in the grieving process is what I call the three D's. It's, it's not just denial as is usually referred to, but one of the things we do in the beginning of, of loss and, and shock is that we can tune it out completely. We can dissociate from it. And everybody knows what it feels like to go into disbelief. It's like I, you literally can't process a really shocking you know, life change just like that. So those are the three Ds. How important are friends to women? Uh, incredibly important. It's one of the reasons uh, we know from research that women live longer than men. The friend factor is is crucial. In fact, there's a study of women that that showed that the the more friends a woman has through her lifetime, she'll live longer. Healing doesn't just deal with the body, though, does it? Oh boy, you know I I I'm sure you know this too, Alan. But anyone who's uh, suffered a pretty serious illness or injury, we know that what we're our attitude is all important in our healing. And one of the things I've learned, I've done hypnosis for um, many years. I practice hypnosis uh, and I use it um, with myself when I'm trying to facilitate my healing. And that's part of this contribution to, to attitude, which we know is all important. One of the primary features of resilient people is that they are optimistic. They have a sense, uh, self-efficacy, we call it. So when I would be having any kind of body work, I would be focusing my mind on facilitating that particular process that was taking place, just having my body be responsive and healing with that touch. In your book, Gail, you said that every breakdown prepares the way for a breakthrough. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yes, I love that concept because it fits right in, too, with what we were talking about a moment ago in terms of grieving. That when we're, when we're in a cycle of grieving, there, of course, has been a reason for that. There's been, there's been an injury or a loss or a death or a divorce or you know something significant. And that puts us in a state of breakdown. It puts us into those emotions we associate with grief, which is, you know, the anger, the irritability, the outrage, the depression, the obsession. I talk a lot about obsession. That's a part of our grieving response. 
But as we move through through those stages, we are literally providing the structure for the breakthrough. Because the breakthrough at the end, you know, kind of literally, the, sometimes it's an aha moment, a recognition that, oh, you know, life does go on. I, I can love again. I can walk again. I can think again. My memory is coming back. I will heal. So sometimes it's the aha moment, but sometimes it's a gradual recognition that you are continuing on your path. And all of this emotional internal work fits right in with the hero's journey, which is the context in which I place the story in the book. How is love the magic elixir? <laughs> well, you know, I think the older you get and the more, the more losses you overcome, you realize that love is the only thing that matters in the world. It is the most powerful energy. It simply is an energetic force. You know, there are spiritual masters who say that, uh, you know, God is love, that life, creativity, all of it has to do with that primary state of being love. And in A Course of Miracles, you know, it says there are only two states of being. We're in the, in either, either in a state of love or a state of fear. So love, love really is the magic elixir. I think it is the, the miracle emotion. Women have many different challenges in life, though, than men, don't they? I think they do because we are so multi-focused. Women are the, the um, original multitaskers. This is talked about in anthropology, actually. The difference between, one difference between men and women is that, you know, men are trained for thousands of years to keep their eye on the tip of the spear, you know, to keep their eye focused on one task at a time to make sure that they accomplish what they need to accomplish. Women, on the other hand, you know, we've been like back in, uh, back in the village looking after kids, you know, picking berries, growing food, talking with friends, planning the dinner, you know, just a multitude of things. So, and that carries through today where I mentioned earlier, women are often now caring for four different generations. And, the, and we ourselves kind of end up at the bottom of the list. And I think that tends to be true for men as well, however, so that often during this time, when I'm coaching men or women, what I find is that the personal health and well-being is often at the bottom of the list. So there has to be a real focus on self-care, finding uh, ways to pay attention to mind, body, and spirit. Just when you were making progress, you had a horrible car crash that you referred to a minute ago throwing you back into the belly of the whale, didn't you? I did. I did. And I'm glad you mentioned the belly of the whale because just, you know, for those who may not be familiar with the hero's journey, there are these these stages and the one is the call to change and grow. And we all, you know, we're all on that path. And because we don't do it, because often we don't do it consciously. We, ref- we like to turn away from change. We refuse big changes. So we get tossed on the path. There we are, flat on our face like I was. 
And the third stage is being on the road of trials, and the fourth is the belly of the whale. I mean, that's where we just go into total despair and kind of reduced to, to helplessness. And, and that's where I was and during that, uh, after that other accident. The great news, though, is that all of this has a purpose, and the purpose has to do with dying to the old self, with with getting rid of our defenses that would keep us kind of stuck in identities that no longer serve us and in personas that aren't really authentic. And so we have to go through this. It, re, it always reminds me of the Buddhist saying when you when you burn, burn yourself completely. I mean, you know, so as I was burning up all right. But then the 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 goal is to rise from the ashes. And we always have help with that. There is always supernatural aid on the journey. And it often happens when you're in the belly of the whale, you know, when you just think there's 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 no more to do, you know, there's no way out. And, um, you know, heroes are always assisted on their journey, and we are too. Gail, in your book, you mentioned several different types of breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important to healing? Well, it's important because I learned this really interesting uh, fact. It came out of a, a couple of doctors at Columbia University who declared that our culture has an epidemic of oxygen starvation. And I thought, wow, that sounds pretty extreme. But the fact is, if you think for a moment about what a high-pressure society we live in and what do we do when we're in constant tension and pressure, we shallow breathe. So it began to make some sense to me, and particularly in the context of following my head injury accident, I really could not breathe. I could not get a full breath. The, the respiratory center in my brain, the the appetite center, the thirst, everything was off. So sometimes I felt like I was I was starving to death or I was going to die of thirst when I just had a glass of water. And I could never get a full breath without a respiratory therapist with their hands on certain places lying down telling me how to breathe. So I really got that message that the breath is absolutely crucial to good health and to um, a sense of calm and, and a sense of focus. So that's the importance of the breathing exercises. And also, there's an institute, the Heart Math Institute in the Bay Area has been researching the functions of the heart for many, many years, and they really align the intelligence of the heart with the mind and so on. But they recommend a heart-centered breath where you're breathing love into your heart just for a few minutes every day, and then exhaling, uh, breathing out, you know, tension and fear. So there are multiple studies that are showing us that, that the way we breathe and learning how to breathe, the old adage, I'll stop and take a deep breath, you know, uh, it's, it's really true. It can be tremendously helpful. In your chapter titled Supremely Supportive Self-Care for the Journey, you start with a month's worth of daily declarations. <laughs> Do you have a favorite in all of that uh, assortment? Oh, gosh. I think the one uh, on the 14th, which, you know, I always associate with uh, Valentine's Day. 
I love that. Today I celebrate all of life as a sacred valentine. All of my relationships are God in love. Everything is sweet because I declare it so. Sounds like a great daily meditation to me. (laughs) How important is optimism in overcoming obstacles and hardships? Well, we've learned in psychology, uh, Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania spent the first 20 years of his life uh, researching depression and came up with the term learned helplessness, created lots of ways, methods to treat depression. And then um, what happened to him after 20 years? You could guess, right? He got depressed. (laughs) That was going to be my first guess. Exactly, yes. yes. So he flipped his research over and began looking at people, resilient people, and not just everyday people who get over some stuff, but these are high-risk children. They did longitudinal studies, children where... Two-thirds of them were in the criminal system, the mental health system, or had suicided by the time they were 18 or grown. And one-third of these these people were completely resilient and turned out to be high-functioning, you know, uh, contributing members of society, and they were happy and healthy. And he started looking at what on earth, you know, what's the central factor here? And in all the studies, what came out was that these Resilient people are optimistic. They really feel that and have the sense of knowing that everything will work out and that they can influence how things work out. So optimism is key to being a resilient person. Yeah, what is, in your mind, the most important main message you hope that women get from your book? That they are on a profound spiritual journey. The quest for spirituality is said to be the greatest megatrend of our era. 78% of Americans feel the need for spiritual growth. And so I think the the big message is I'm hoping I provide provide all kinds of of inspiration and uh, methods to practice growing the most authentic, uh, magnificent person uh, that you could possibly be, because that's who we are. And we we tend to get kind of bogged down in thinking that we are our egos. And our egos are just created to help us, you know, work out in the world and, and get by in the world. But who we truly are, you know, the higher self, the the essence of who we are is so profound that that's what I, I'm hoping, you know, people get from the book. And and I give them ways, you know, to practice the spirituality and the resilience and all the methods that that support people and just feeling like they have a great life. Gail, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about your award-winning new book, Midlife Crash Course. Anyone wanting to learn more should visit www.gailfeldman.com or www.midlifecrashcourse.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back soon with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. 
Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.